Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. So I'm going to start this morning a little different than I planned to, and this is going to serve a couple of purposes. One, it's going to be a bit of personal testimony about peace. Two, it's also going to be a microphone check, because here's how my day started. Um, I was going to to print the sermon, the, the fruit of my labor, and my printer decided that it was going to be in complete rebellion this morning, and so it printed about half, and I thought, oh, good, okay, it's working, and I went to do some other things, and then came back, and Oh, oh, you, you stopped. Okay, so I have the second half of the sermon. Awesome. So I will tell you to print again. And, uh, and then it started to print again. And then I finally went back and thought, okay, I hate to not be there for the first moment that we start singing in worship, but it's probably more important to have the sermon with me than to miss the, you know, miss the first 16 bars of a song. And so... Um, I thought, okay, good, it's printed. And I went and looked, and it had run out of black ink on the last four pages. So I called Jake. Is there a printer at the school? Well, no, I could run to my house and back, and I just immediately was basically cutting him off. I've got a problem, I've got a fix. I've got a problem, I've got a fix. I'll solve it, I'm good, bye. Click, changed everything to blue, printed, boom, we have a sermon. Testimony piece, microphone good? Thank you, Lord. Testimony piece is that through all of that, I still walked in here this morning and drove here this morning, even though I knew I was going to be a little bit late, which is not okay. Peaceful. That's weird. That's not what I was expecting. It's not what I would expect. I would expect to walk in frantic and scared and frazzled and so peaceful that it was noticeable. Like This doesn't make any sense, but my heart just feels settled within me. With that testimony shared, now we start. My dad has a tradition. And my, my dad is not afraid of a tradition. He is a man that likes a tradition. And uh, around 1986, he started every Christmas Eve walking outside after everything was done inside. So all the presents are wrapped, everything is under the tree, all the preparations are done, kids are in bed. And he would walk outside because he noticed something on Christmas Eve. The world was quiet. He couldn't hear the traffic running on North Harrison Avenue. Nobody was talking, nobody was moving, no cars, no nothing. The world was quiet in a way that we don't ever really experience it. At some point he told me about this tradition and I've now adopted it and I would encourage you to to give it a try. You walk outside late enough on Christmas Eve and you will hear something that we almost never hear which is nothing. It's, it's really beautiful. So that's Christmas Eve almost 40 years ago. That's Christmas Eve 1985. Let's back up roughly 2,000 years to the first Christmas Eve. Now imagine you are a shepherd. You're outside town. Your job is to take, keep an eye on some sheep, to protect them, to make sure that they eat, that they do what they're supposed to do. It's nighttime. There's no electricity. There's no motors, there's no engines, there's no cars. 
There's nothing making artificial noise at all. A plane is not going to fly over. It is dead quiet. There's no light. There's no street lights. There's no flashlights. There's no nothing. They might have had a fire going, but other than that, there is no artificial light at all. So the reason I wanted to paint that picture is because we've read this passage that I'm about to read so many times that it can just go flying past us. So let's all try just mentally to get into that place, that silent spot. The only thing that you're hearing at that point is maybe the wind, the crackle of a fire, that one shepherd who always falls asleep, he's snoring, the sheep are making whatever noises they make, and then we pick up with the scripture. This is Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, so do you remember where we were just a second ago? Shepherd snoring, sheep breathing, and then boom, the night explodes. And not just with like random people when they show up. Fear not, do not be afraid. Why? Because they're scary. Because this just came out of nowhere, and the guys are terrified. Now, when I was studying this, something jumped out at me. Typically, when you're looking through uh, like a KJV version, the KJV Plus, Esword, my home base, and it's got the Greek word for whatever the English word is, and it gets to the part where it says they were sore afraid. And there's three words there in Greek. Well, that grabbed my attention. There should only be two, but there's three. You want to know what they are? Okay. Um, The first one, phobeo, to be alarmed, in awe of, afraid, fear. That's like, that's how we think of fear. But what's also there is phobos, fear, withdrawal, fleeing because of feeling inadequate, to avoid because of dread, panic, flight, fear, terror. And then the third word, megas which means great. So in case we're thinking the shepherds were kind of scared, no, 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 they weren't a little scared. They were mega alarmed, in fear, about to take off, terrified, I feel completely inadequate for this moment, I'm gonna run, afraid. Like losing their minds afraid. And so when the next verse hits and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It makes sense that he had to get their attention, right? Because it's not just don't be afraid. It's, whoa, 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 don't run. Come back. Why? Behold, I have good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now at this point, I think maybe they've started to breathe again because now there's this really wonderful news being told to them, right? Behold, he's born unto you and it's a sign for all the people. So they're processing this. Wow, okay, we're not gonna run. Let me take a breath. And then right when their heart rate drops and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. This is the angelic army, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a remarkably terrifying, unexpected moment 
I promise when the shepherds like, went to bed that night, this is not what they thought was about to happen. Now, before we get to the, the word that we're going to land on, peace, that's where we're going to be talking about, um, I just want to look just quickly through again through these verses. The, the angel didn't say, fear not, I mean you no harm. He didn't say, fear not, I'm not a threat to you, because those weren't true. He could be a threat to them, and he didn't mean them any harm. But he said, fear not, for behold, fear not, because there's good news. For unto who? Unto you is born on this day. When? This day. Now, who's been born? A Savior. Where? In the city of David. And who is this Savior? He is Christ the Lord. And I'm going to give you proof. This will be a sign to you. In case you think you're just having a super weird dream, just go and look, and you're going to find him lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then the massive choir, the massive chorus, the massive army of angels. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Peace. Peace. Okay, so let's hone in on our word. Let's hone in our, on our theme here. Peace. Peace runs like a thread through the Christmas story. If you've noticed, even through these weeks, um, Luke 1, 79, this is Zacharias, after he's gotten his voice back, the father of John the Baptist, talking about John's work and, and Jesus' work to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Simeon, the man in the temple who had been waiting his entire life to see the consolation of Israel. Well, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple and Luke 2.27 and following says, so he came by the spirit into the temple, that's Simeon. And when the parents brought in the, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So what is peace? What is peace? What is this peace that we're talking about? Uh, if it's okay, we're going to kind of back engineer uh, a definition for peace. We're going to go with this a little backwards. Because I'm weird and my brain works backwards sometimes. Um, okay, so peace is not nothing. You're looking at me exactly how Allison did when I said that. Peace is not nothing. Let me explain what I mean by that. I find for me it's easy to think of peace as the lack of something, the lack of war, the lack of conflict. There are things in our world that are defined by what they aren't. I went and looked for some. Think about darkness. If you really define darkness, what is it? It's the lack of light. I looked up absolute zero. What is absolute zero? It's the coldest temperature there can be. And you know what it is? It's the lack of heat and movement. You know what a vacuum is? A space where there's nothing. It is literally defined as a thing where there's no thing. So we can fall into thinking about peace as the lack of this or the lack of conflict or the lack of war. The problem with viewing peace, and the reason I'm making this point, is that if we view peace as the lack of something, the passive lack of something, then we find ourselves just waiting for a conflict to end so we can be at peace, to experience the peace that God talks about. That's why it's important to understand that biblical peace, the peace that was announced to these shepherds and, and runs like a thread through all of this, is very different. 
It's active, it actually is something, and it allows us to stay the course in the midst of conflict, in the midst of war, in the midst of a situation that the world would not say is peaceful. The peace that God gives us is very different. I'm going to give you the definition now. Here's what peace is. It comes from a Greek word, uh, the word that's used by the angels, uh, arene. It is a state of freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. It is wholeness. Now listen to this. When all essential parts are joined together. It's quietness. It is rest. It is to be set at one again. You hear the activity in that? That it's not a lack of anything, even when it looks like it might be about anxiety and inner turmoil. It's a state of freedom. It's actually freedom from those things. And then I just love the picture of being set at one again. Do we have any auditory learners here? Okay, this is for you. Alex, can I play your guitar? Thank you. Okay, to be set at one again, I'll just get up here. play it, don't you, Stephanie? I'll do it a little faster. You hear how that wants to go somewhere? That's called the one chord in music. So to be set at one, to be brought back to the place that it's intended to be, to the the root, to to the place of wholeness. Now, Jesus has come with that kind of peace. I also think about it, uh, the word reintegration means a lot to me. I, I think about it as things that have been blown apart, being brought back together and reintegrated, that have been disintegrated. Like our world, because of sin, because of our sin, is not the original design. That design has been blown apart in a whole lot of ways. And so when this announcement about peace comes, It is an announcement that the Messiah has come to reintegrate, to put back together, to heal the things that have been blown apart, including us, especially us, our broken hearts, the places where we feel like two different people sometimes. At Grace Chapel in Franklin, I would talk to our buddy Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, Um, who was our small groups pastor, who also happened to have a master's degree in counseling, and his office was right across the hall from mine. Guess who got free counseling? (laughs) This guy. And I would talk to him about how, Jimmy, I feel like when I'm leading worship, I feel alive. I feel like I am the person God made me to be. Like, it's just clear. The world makes sense. Everything is good. And then during the week, I find myself feeling sort of confused and not that guy. I feel like two different people. Does that resonate with anybody? Do you have spots where you feel like, man, I am in the sweet spot of God's will, and then other places where I'm just like, I'm a little lost? That's disintegration. And so we started talking about and working on integrating the different parts of me. That's redemption work. That's gospel work. That's the kingdom work of reintegrating, putting back together. That's peace. Now, Jesus also makes clear um, that the peace he's talking about is better. We're going we're to get to this verse in John later, but just quickly, you, you remember when Jesus is at the Last Supper, 
And he says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, I give to you. He's talking about a different peace. So what's different about the peace that Jesus gives? One really obvious thing is that it is eternal. It is unshaken. It is not affected by time or situation. It just goes on and on and on. It's also rooted in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect unity, three in one, rooted. So that's the piece we're talking about. It's just radically different. Making sense so far? We good? Okay. I want to look at some biblical examples of this piece that we've just defined. Uh, and we're good. the framework we're going to use, it just helps, it helps me focus, is we're going to look at peace before, during, and after. So peace before the storm comes or before the great tragedy, the peace that God provides before that, peace right in the middle of whatever situation we're in, and then peace after a situation. So let's start with the peace before, before our trials. Here's our verse in John, the Last Supper. So can you picture it? Jesus and the disciples gathered. The book of John gives us just this extended picture of the conversation and the time that they're spending together. And I know that even though Jesus has told the disciples on several occasions that he's, he's going to be killed, he's going to be crucified, they're still just not getting it. They're confused. They're not picking up uh, what, what he's laying down. They, they don't understand it. But in that context, Jesus knows they're not getting it. And he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I read one commentator that talked about this passage as though Jesus is bequeathing peace to them as part of his last will and testament before going to the cross. Isn't that beautiful? He's handing out the things that are his to the ones that he loves. He knows the trial that's coming. He knows what he's about to go through, and he knows what they're about to go through. The pain, the disillusionment, the confusion. Imagine you're following the Messiah who has been promised, and then he's killed. He's killed right in front of you. Massively confusing, massively disintegrating. And he knew that was coming and gave them this great promise. Listen. We're going to face trials. Listen to the next verse. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is where I remember times in my life where like, yeah, okay, school was hard. But I hadn't really faced any major trials. I was just a kid with ADD that had a hard time with algebra. And then times came where much more difficult trials came and caused all sorts of damage and blew things apart and challenged me in ways that I would have never expected. And because these promises are here, we know that Jesus promised peace in those situations, in those tribulations. And so for some of you in the room where I just said, like, you know, I had some trouble in school, you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds about right. Or some, you know, my boyfriend broke up with me when I was in the eighth grade and that hurt. And like things that at the time feel very real, but we're likely going to face more serious tribulation. It's important for us to pay attention 
when Jesus says there is this peace that can't be shaken, to pay attention to those words and know that he's given us this promise ahead of time so that when we do walk into the situations, whether they're gigantic or whether they're just a massively rebellious canon printer who refuses to do its job, to have peace in both situations is beautiful. What a gift it was to me and is to me today. Those that know me know what that could have done to me. You guys know what being late to preach would have done to this guy. It, it <laughs> Crystal just gave me the empathetic mom face. She just said, buddy, you would have been completely melting down. I didn't melt down. I got in the car and drove here. Now, full disclosure, was not super nice to my wife and son before they left. I'm sorry. Um, and even with that, I got in the car and was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. This peace is, is solid and eternal and internal. Okay, peace during, peace during, peace during trials. Anybody want peace when you're in the middle of a trial? So let's look at a couple of these. Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 37 and thir- through 39. Uh, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. That's Jesus. And they, the disciples, awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I didn't put the verses in here that comes right after that, but it says the disciples looked at each other and said, who is this? What he just did was so supernatural that they thought maybe they were following a rabbi, but what he just did was in the God category. He just brought supernatural, nature-commanding peace into a situation where they thought they were going to die. They were terrified. Now, we've had the the joy and the honor to be in Israel a few times and be on the Sea of Galilee, which in Israel they call the Lake of Tiberias. So if you're picturing the Atlantic, don't. It's not a giant body of water. So some commentators and scholars think this may not have even just been a natural storm that stirred up. It could have been something even worse on the Sea of Galilee to have a situation that is this deadly. There could have been both dynamics happening at once. And so in the midst of that terror, in the midst of the fear of death, in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our trials, in the middle of agony and pain and grief, in the middle of not knowing what to do and feeling utterly helpless. Remember that word for fear? I'm going to withdraw because I'm inadequate for the situation, right in the middle of that, we can cry out to Jesus and say, God, help. And do you notice they don't even say it really politely? God, wake up. Do you not care that we're dying? Like we teach our children to ask for things nicer than that. There's no please, there's no, this is desperation. And Jesus responds and stops it. Peace be still. Okay, one more. The book of Exodus, 
chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14, but let me set the stage. So these are the Israelites having left Egypt. They're on the run. They've been set free. Pharaoh let them go. Walking through the desert, walking to the promised land. And then, hey, there's the Red Sea. And hey, there's Pharaoh and his chariots and his armies, and they are coming to kill us. Talk about helpless. These are people who were just recently enslaved. This is not an army. They're sitting ducks. They're ripe for slaughter. And here's what the scripture says. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Now listen, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You see that in this case, war is God's job. The fight is God's job. The solution to the impossible situation is God's job. What's our job? Hold our peace. Hold. Hold on to it. I don't know if you remember the quote from the last time I preached from Dallas Willard where where he said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So it's okay for us to have a job in this. We can't provide the peace, but what can we do? Hold on to it. Fight for it. Don't let it be easily stolen and just ripped away from us. I am so glad I've never done that. Lying's bad. Lying's bad. Okay, I've done that a lot. Faced a situation where I grew up in church, hearing the scripture, going to church all the time, hearing these stories, and just letting my peace be just easily pickpocketed from me. I need to remember in a situation that looks impossible, certain death, whether you're in a storm on a boat or you are sure it's sinking or you are facing an army coming at you and you don't have a weapon, hold, hold, hold on to peace. That sounds nice. How do we do that? We'll get there Toward the end, just a few tools on how to hold on to our peace. Okay, so before our trials, the Last Supper, right in the middle of our trials, the storm, the Egyptians coming. What about after? This category isn't after our trials. The examples we're going to look at are actually after the miracle. Weird, right? The way that I would think is once I'm in the promised land, I don't need peace. I'm in the promise. Once the miracle has happened, I'm good. So let's look at these. Luke chapter 8. This is a little bit of an extended section, so you can either um, look at the scripture, or if you want to, this might be a good moment just to, to close your eyes and just be here and be in the moment and, and allow the scripture, like the scripture doesn't need me to talk about it. Just, just let the Bible do what it does. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment, of Jesus' garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? 
When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do you see that the miracle already happened? And what state was she in right after the miracle? She knew that the power had gone into her. She knew that she was healed. She knew what had happened. And she approached with fear and trembling, terrified. After the miracle, still scared, still terrified. And Jesus' response to her is, be of good cheer. Your faith has healed you. Now go, now walk, now depart. Set at one again. Go, walk in wholeness. Go, walk, reintegrate it. Put back the way that you are supposed to be when I made you. Go in peace. Walk in peace. Walk out your miracle. Go live your life in the peace that I give. After the miracle, one more. This is after the resurrection. Now, what what happens here happens twice. I'm going to read you the second one. First time, the disciples are gathered post-resurrection, and Jesus appears to them in a room where they had locked the door and said, peace be with you. You think? He just appeared through a wall through a locked door, and they thought he was dead, and he appears and says, peace be with you. Now, eight days later, So they've worked through their disbelieving joy, which is a phrase in that first part of the story that we don't have time to deal with. But what a great, they were were unbelieving with joy. They're just flipping out. Now, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So they're experiencing the supernatural miracle again. He's literally gone through a door that's locked again. And his message to them is peace be unto you. Wholeness, freedom from anxiety, reintegration, to be made one again. Be with you. Now I'll tell you personally what wrecked me when I read that, and it took me reading that he appeared through doors they had locked twice, is that Jesus will walk through doors that we lock. Sometimes pain can make us lock some doors and shut our heart down so that we don't feel anymore. That's not just theory for me. I've done a good bit of that. Even though I was warned by dear friends who said, keep your heart open. Because if you shut your heart in one area, 
you shut the whole thing. And so I've been through a season where my heart has been locked because it just sometimes feels too dangerous to hope, too dangerous to dream, too dangerous, like fear of what might come. That's what they're dealing with here is they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the ones that were going to come for them. So they locked the door and shut down. And Jesus appeared. Even though the door was locked, he came in and showed himself to them alive. Even to Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe it until I put my fingers in the holes in his hands. And so Jesus said, peace be with you. Feel that? I'm here, Thomas. I'm right here. Be at peace. It's going to be all right. You all think your world just exploded. But this was the plan the whole time. And it is so much better than anything that you imagined. The plan that I have. You know, Thomas is who he was talking to when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. That conversation, the question, the answer, that's with Thomas. That's with Thomas. And now he invites Thomas into the plan again and offers him peace. So, Application for that one right there. I was trying to think of something current, and I couldn't really come up with much, but I was like, man, what if there was like a church that had been going for seven years, and then somebody gave them a building? (laughs) And some properties, some really choice property, and then provided a way for them to buy the house next door to, but I couldn't come up with anything like that. So, (laughs) miracle, miracle? Miracle. Do you need peace in the miracle? Yes. That junk got to be fixed. Houses need some work. There's a plan. There's needs. There's all kinds of stuff ahead. We're living in the miracle, and we need peace right in the middle of it. That's the peace that God provides. He has a plan. So don't be fooled into thinking that just because you received the miracle, now all of a sudden you got to feel bad because you need some peace. Now, that makes you human. And the good news is humans have a God who is known as the Prince of Peace. That's who our God is. Okay. I want to share a few verses getting back to where I said, okay, how? How do we hold, how do we hold on to peace? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Here's the how. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Everything. Bring it to God. Let him know. Bring thanksgiving with it. And let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's highlight two things here. Thing one. And this isn't an either or. This is, a, this, is a, this is a yes and. I've thought of that as that peace bypasses my understanding and then gets in there and brings me peace. Yes, I need that desperately. But look at the word here. Peace surpasses understanding. Now, when I think of something surpassing something else, I don't think about 
the end around. I don't think about it sneaking past it. This looks to me like concepts are being talked about here. That peace, the peace that God gives us, it surpasses understanding. It is better. It's greater. It's higher. It's a more glorious concept. And so we may never have understanding. And what does God give us for that disappointment? He gives us something so much better. Peace that surpasses our understanding. There's things, listen, we probably all have a list of things we're never going to understand. We may not get an explanation on earth for them at all. I don't know how heaven works completely. I don't know if God has like the question and answer session where we get to ask all those things. Or once we're there, we're just like, I don't even care. Kind of hoping for that. Peace surpasses understanding because understanding may never come, but peace is always available. Understanding may never come, never, but we can always live in the peace of Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So where does peace come from? May the God of hope fill you fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I didn't even remember to put this in my notes, but you know what? It wouldn't have printed anyway. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said this, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty, spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? If you want to be warm, you got to get near the fire. If you want to be wet, you got to jump in the water. If you want peace, you have to be close to the source of peace. So another way that we can hold on to peace is just remembering, I just need to go be with God. I just need to be with him. I want to be peaceful. I need to be with the Prince of Peace. One more. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. It's the second word of that verse that lets me know we have a part in this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We have to let it happen. He's not going to come like wrestle us down and pin us like some big brother and then like make us be peaceful. Let the peace of Christ rule. Rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. Boy, that's good news. Okay, in closing, I want to contrast the peace that God gives us with the thing the world calls peace. I want to use a great piece of historic literature to do this. Um, it's something that we likely, I think most of us will, will know, even if you weren't a literature major, it, it's this. Humpty Dumpty, <laughs> Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. 
All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back at one again. Couldn't put Humpty together again. Aren't you glad we don't live in that kingdom? That's not our king. We don't live in a kingdom where the king is powerless to put our shattered existence back together. Rather, here's our king. Revelation 21.5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All things new. He didn't throw them away and decide to recreate. Behold, I make all things new, reintegrated, put back the way they're supposed to be. That's the angel announcement. That there is peace available. That the king has come. He's come to earth for you. For you. Today, city of David. Go look. Peace on earth. Peace is here. He didn't give up. He's coming to repair it all. To repair it all. Last thing, do you want to hear my angel story? My real life angel story? I'm going to read it, how my mom wrote it. This is when I was in the second grade. I'm super proud of my mom. She got into chicken soup for the Christian soul about angels for this. Super pumped. <laughs> Jetta made it. This is called Heavy Lifting. I couldn't know that night what was in store for our family. I only knew my stress level was too high. The client crisis and my social work job always multiplied in the holidays. This year, the pressure of managing them seemed far too heavy. As I drove through the darkness, my husband Jim's desire for a career change came to mind. While we juggled day-to-day -day responsibilities, he quietly watched for a new opportunity. Somehow in the midst of all our issues, I needed to shelve my worry and focus on our December events. I peered between the windshield wipers, fast strokes, and groaned. The parking lot was full. A block-long overflow of cars had pulled onto the campus lawn. Everyone in our small Arkansas town must have turned out for the community school's Christmas program. Our second grader, who should have joined his class inside the gym by now, but I was running late. I mentally kicked myself. Why hadn't I sent him early with Jim and Michael, our fifth grader? They were warm and dry inside. While John, pause, I told people my name was John in the second grade because I didn't want to write Jonathan because it's just too long. It was my one year as John. While John played with a toy in the back seat, I drove once more through the poorly lit parking lot. Surely there was a closer space to leave our car. Then I saw it. Spotlighted by my headlights through the downpour, the narrow area of grass between two cars was perfect for our small sedan. What great luck. We would make it inside a few minutes before the program started. I pulled into the spot, nosing forward to line up beside my neighbor. With a sickening clunk, the front of our new car dropped about a foot and landed on something hard. I cried out, Jesus, help us. My mom was praying our cars through so many things. Jesus, help us, and stammered some kind of reassurance to John. The windshield view, distorted by wipers and water, didn't reveal what trapped us. The campus park, completely level, stretched beyond my headlights glare. Shaking, I gripped the steering wheel and tried to think. Whether I drove forward or reversed, the sedan's undercarriage might be ripped out. 
Within seconds of my prayer, someone tapped on the driver's side window. With a trembling hand, I lowered it. A man stood there, backlit by the headlights of a vehicle parked out in the street. Slender, average height, and dark-haired, he was a stranger. In spite of the cold rain, his white shirt and dark pants looked dry. Without expression or a greeting, he gave me instructions. When I walked to the front of the car and lift it, put it in reverse, and back up. I suppose I nodded in agreement, still in shock. He moved unhurriedly around to the front of the car and into my headlights. His white shirt dazzled in the lights. I watched him reach down under the bumper. With no apparent strain, he lifted and held the car's front end. I remember staring a moment, then I reversed, looking over my shoulder until the front tires rested on the ground again. The car became reintegrated with its purpose. His help had taken less than a minute. Relief flooded me, and I turned immediately to to thank him. He was gone. I looked around, searching for our good Samaritan. How had he moved out of sight so quickly? Maybe he had run to that vehicle whose headlights had lit the scene, except now there was no vehicle on the street. This time, my headlights revealed not only the campus grass, but what had trapped us. A wide, grassy mound covering a concrete culvert, buried except for the open end where we dangled. I left the car in its safe spot and got out. With one last glance around, I rushed John into the school gym, barely in time, and settled into my bleacher seat. After a few deep breaths, my heart rate settled back to normal. Jim supervised his high school video crew documenting the concert. Telling him about my answered prayer would have to wait. Our son's classes sang their Christmas song with gusto. No doubt the other student groups performed well too, but I was oblivious to them. Instead, I peered from face to face in the audience. Sure, I would spot the man who helped us. I never saw him again. Still awed by the rescue but puzzled, I asked John the next day if he'd noticed where our helper went. He stopped playing with his toys a moment. He walked straight out there in the dark, I think. On a cold, wet night, why would any person walk away from a warm building into the deserted campus park? Unless that average-looking fellow wasn't a person at all. Much later, I realized our car-lifting angel marked a turning point in our family's direction. Within a couple of months, an opportunity had opened for Jim to change careers. We each resigned our jobs and made a leap of faith to graduate school with children, pets, and a shoestring budget. Every need, large and small, was met by God's amazing provision right when we needed it. When Jim completed his studies, his new career led our family into opportunities we couldn't have imagined on that cold December night. In the decades since that evening, life has thrown plenty of difficulties our way. But now, no matter what the size of the problem, I remember to ask for help. I don't think I've ever met another angel. But with each dilemma, God provides the heavy lifting right on time. I remember it. I remember his white dress shirt. You know what happens to a white dress shirt in the rain? Never got see-through. And he just walked off. Because we were in a position we could do nothing about. My mom was helpless. What she doesn't say here is when she was seven years old, she got contracted polio. And so she was really helpless. She could limp around the world, but she for sure wasn't getting the car out of that situation and cried out, Jesus, help us, and he did. So no matter what you're facing, if it's your 
Toyota stuck on a culvert or something that seems bigger or smaller. Cry out, Jesus, help me. And the God of peace will. He will in his time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you give peace that is not like the world gives. It's no temporary ceasefire. It's peace that surpasses understanding. It is peace that is eternal. It is peace that is active and doing work. It is peace that brings freedom from worry and from anxiety. Peace that is rock solid. Peace that is rooted in the ultimate unity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And Lord, I pray for us as we continue to walk through this remembrance of your beautiful coming, that your peace along with hope and joy and faith will be our song. They will be what we walk in every day. And we are going to fail constantly. Oh, Jesus, help. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. Thank you for your beautiful name by which we pray. Amen. Amen.